Well, I want to say just a little bit about our service next week, uh, our joint service with the MLK Church and our Iglesia de Cristo. Uh, that's about all the Espanol that I know, and so uh, that's what you're going to get from me this morning. Let, let me go over a couple of logistics. A lot of you have asked a lot of questions. I promise you, I think that we have covered all the details and have everything down, but just in case... Some of you are asking, where in the world is Paris Junior High? If you go to Jefferson Road, 2400 Jefferson Road, that is across from Dragon Park. Uh, that is the, what some of you will know as the old Paris High School. That is now the Paris Junior High. And on that campus, there's a big auditorium called Wager Auditorium. You cannot miss it. You'll see the cars and we'll have people directing you in uh, to where the auditorium is. And so that morning, I want you to mark this. There will not be any activity taking place at this building that morning. So if you're a Sunday morning Bible class teacher from adults down to our crater row, you have next Sunday off, and the church said, okay, you get a break next Sunday, okay? So no activities next Sunday morning here at our facility. At nine o'clock, there's going to be a fellowship time of coffee and juice and donuts and time for us to visit and fellowship and see people that we normally don't see in our worship attendance on Sunday morning. And so we wanted that time for us to have fellowship time with one another and just time to be together. And so that'll take place at nine o'clock. About 10 till 10, Alan's going to start us with some songs leading into our worship service that will begin at 10 o'clock, okay? And so plan to be there. Come early. It's a big auditorium, but we're wanting everybody uh, to get a good seat. We're going to have greeters there. We're going to have ushers. We're going to have uh, programs so you'll know what the order of service is. We're going to have all of that, okay? Some have asked, are we going to have the Lord's Supper? Yes, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. How are we going to take two offerings up? Come next Sunday, and you're going to find out how we're going to do the offering, okay? It's going to be interesting, but we are having the offerings, and, and MLK will have theirs, we'll have ours. We're working all those logistics out. Beyond all the logistics, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray this week about our theme that God can do more. Don't worry about the logistics. Leave that to me and Marcelino and Brandon Robertson. We're going to work all that out. And if something doesn't go right, guess what? God can do more with it. Amen? Because what's important is that we're going to be together and we're going to be worshiping our God. And we're going to be living out the very thing that we are talking about in our vision that Jesus prays about in John 17. He prays that his believers, he prays that his followers will be one. And so as we gather next week, we will be participating in the very thing that Jesus prays about. And so I ask you this week, not only to pray, but invite somebody to be with you. Okay? It's going to be a great time of praise and worship uh, to our God, and we are looking forward to that. This afternoon, Marcelino and I will be going over to worship with the MLK Church. 
It's a time for Marcelino and Brandon to kind of get acquainted, kind of preaching together. Marcelino has a big task next week. He is going to translate everything that we do next week into Spanish uh, for uh, his uh, church. And so it's going to be a fantastic day. And I'll tell you ahead of time, brush up on your Espanol. We're going to do a couple of songs in Spanish. And uh, it's going to be beautiful. So in your Bibles this morning, turn to Mark chapter 8. I want you to find verse 27. Now, don't freak out. I'm not going to read 8, 9, and 10, but we are going to reference this morning in our study time those three chapters. And we're going to start in Mark chapter 8, so find verse 27, and we'll begin there in just a moment. Now, I want you to go back to your school days. Now, for some of you, that's not hard at all because that's going to take place tomorrow, isn't it, Justin? Okay, Justin's up here doing this. So here's what I want you to think about. Everybody that's been in school has probably had this happen to you. Teacher gives a test or asks a question, and so you quickly put up your hand or write down your answer, and lo and behold, here's what happens. You get the answer right, but as you say that answer or write it down, even though you know the answer, you don't have a clue what it means. Has that ever happened to you? Raise your hand. You get it right, but you don't have a clue why. You don't have a clue what it means. Well, the same thing is ringing true with Jesus' disciples. Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. And as we find ourselves following his path from chapters 8, 9, and 10, in this section, you find six references to Jesus being on the way or being on the road to Jerusalem. So here's what's taking place. While he's on his way to Jerusalem, while he's on that road, and while the disciples are following him, I want you to get this in your mind. There's a lot of conversations going on. There's a lot of talking and a lot of teaching that's taking place. I want you to notice just in your Bibles the subheadings beginning in chapter 8, 9, and 10. You have the healing of a blind man at Bethsaida. You have Peter's confession of Christ. Then you have Jesus predicting his death. That's, kinda, that's where he's kind of hinting to his disciples that I'm not going to be with you all the time. There's going to come a time soon when I leave your presence and I pass on from this life. They didn't get that. They didn't understand that. They were having a hard time because they wanted to hold on to Jesus and especially in his presence as long as they could. And so then in chapter 9, you've got that beautiful transfiguration scene and then you have the healing of a boy with an evil spirit. And then you have kind of a popularity contest going on with the disciples, and they start raising the question, so just who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Okay, That's where we like to fight for power. That's where we like to fight for authority, and we want to be number one, and we want it all about us, right? Jesus addresses that problem. And then he's talking about whoever's not against us is for us. Then he's talking about sin and those things that cause us to sin. And then right in the middle of all of that, of all topics to kind of throw in there, the issue of divorce comes up. 
And so he starts talking and teaching about that. And then you've got the little children that are coming to Jesus. And Jesus drives home a great teachable moment and point there. And then you have the rich young man, the rich young ruler. And again, the second time he's predicting his death. Then you have the request of James and John leading us to the story that we looked at last week about blind Bartimaeus and how the one thing that he is crying out to Jesus about is, I want to see. And we'll look at that in a moment. So imagine just those topics right there. Man, just in this room right here, we could have a lot of conversations about that, right? But here's what Jesus wants to do. Jesus is wanting this to be more than just a conversation. He's wanting to not just touch the surface of things. He's wanting to go deeper with it. And he's wanting his disciples to realize if you're really going to take up the cross and you're really going to be my disciple, here are some things that you need to go deeper with. Here are some things that you've got to quit just scratching the surface on and you've got to know in your heart that these things are bigger than just a, a topic that's hard to talk about. These are things about life. And these are conversations that we need to have that go from just physical and surface to that of spiritual depth and what it really means for our life. And so in the first part of Mark's gospel, everybody is just amazed at the things that Jesus is saying, all these miracles that are taking place. And so they started asking this question, who is this man? I mean, even the disciples had a hard time figuring out who he was. And so finally, after about five or six boat trips across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, Jesus stops and he gives a little pop quiz like I talked about a minute ago. And he asked two questions. And you find those questions in chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. And he asked his disciples, and he went up to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, and here's the general question. Who do people say that I am? Okay, that would be like him asking the question to the general population. Okay, who do people say that I am? Now that's one question. Go down a couple of verses in chapter 8 of verse 29, and then a more direct question is this. But what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? So it's almost like at this point, it really doesn't matter what the general population says. What really matters now is, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Because if you look at the verse above that, it says, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say uh, you're one of the prophets. Some say you're John the Baptist. Okay, that's great. But what about you? At that point, he really doesn't care what everybody else is saying. The direct question is, who do you say that I am? Man, that's a crucial point of discipleship. A crucial point where the question is asked directly to you and it demands an answer. Because how you answer that 
says all about what you think about Jesus. And not just about what you think about Jesus, but what you think about his mission. And so there's two test questions. And that second question is so important because if you say you're a follower of Jesus and you don't know who he is, then two things take place. Number one, you're either a liar or you are terribly confused. And so I think Jesus' main point here is this. You need to know who Jesus is to you. Let that sink in for a minute. We need to know who Jesus is to us. Because where we go from there says it all, doesn't it? Where we go from there speaks volumes. Because if we're going to continue the work and ministry of Jesus, which is what he's encouraging his disciples, even though I'm going to be away from you soon, my work continues. Even though I'm not going to be present with you, my ministry continues, and guess what? It continues through you. So Jesus is no longer with us presently face-to-face like I'm looking at Alan, but guess what? He's with us in in our heart. He's with us wherever we go, and so what we think about Jesus and what we say about Jesus and what we claim about Jesus says everything, doesn't it? So who do you say that I am? If you don't know who Jesus is here, there may come a time where he will will say that he doesn't even know us. And so Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Well, just like that pop quiz, just like you sitting in the class, The teacher asks the question, and sometimes we raise our hand first because we want everybody around us to think, man, he's really been studying, or, you know, he or she really knows the answer to what's fixing to be asked here. And so Peter jumps right on up, and he says, you are the Messiah. Well, at that point, you're thinking, way to go, Peter. You got it right. And after all, I mean, look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, Peter, you got it right. You did good. And so at that point, we're thinking, man, we can close our books. We can go home. Peter got the answer right to the question. Well, but here's what happens. Everything gets quiet. Everybody's holding their breath, even Peter, because here's what we begin to realize. If you're going to be on the road with Jesus, you better know who he is And you not only need to know the answer to the question of who he is, you need to know the meaning behind it. In other words, if you say he is Lord of my life, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, he's Lord of my life. He's Lord of everything. Okay? That is great. But just like to the disciples, I think Jesus is asking us, So what does that really mean for you right now in 2015, almost 2016? What does that mean for you? You go back and look at what happened just before this test when Jesus gave sight to a blind man. It's an interesting story because he treated this man not just once, 
but twice. And after Jesus touched him the first time, he could see, but not clearly. And after Jesus touched him the second time, he was able to see clearly and wholly everything that Jesus wanted him to be about. And I think that's the way it is with Peter and the disciples. At first, their understanding and their insight, it's not real clear, it's kind of fuzzy. And they had some idea of what Jesus was up to, but they weren't quite sure. And so he had to impress upon them again and again who he was and what he's up to. And so here's what Jesus is up to in chapters 8, 9, and 10. He wanted to open their eyes and make them see. And so this week, I challenge you, go back in depth in just one reading, and it'll take you less than five minutes, and I want you to read chapters 8, verse 27, down to chapter 10, verse 52. And I want you to see how God is at work. Because as his children, don't we believe that God is always up to something? Don't we believe that God is always at work? And what he wants to do is he wants to work his will in our life. At this point, he's wanting to work his will through his disciples. And he wanted them to grasp it and see it and understand it so that when he's not with them presently, they still get it. Do you see that? And so go back this week and read that. But here's what it does. It raises the question of how well we see Jesus. It raises the question, as we go back and look at that story of blind Bartimaeus, man, what we begin to realize from that story is this. Other people were not able to see what the blind man saw. The religious leaders didn't have it figured out. The crowds couldn't understand. And the disciples, even though they could see, they couldn't see clearly. And so really, the only person that could really see in that story is the blind man. And so that's why we posed the question last week, will the real blind beggar please stand up? Because we realize as we look at that story, you and I are that blind beggar. And so here are the questions that I pose for us to ask. Where are the blind spots in our relationship with God? Where are those blind spots? Where do we need help? Where do we need to be able to say, Jesus, I need a second touch of this. Jesus, I need a refresher course. I need a reminder here of what this is all about because I don't understand it. I don't see it clearly. I mean, we want to believe and we want to think in our good hearts that we see everybody just like Jesus does. Let's be honest. Do we? Do we see everybody in the eyes of Jesus? Do we see their hearts? Do we see who they can be and who they are in the eyes of Jesus? Or are we really quick to judge and to think, you know, that person really doesn't look like me, so something must be wrong, you know. 
maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're wrong for not stopping to realize this person may not be where they want to be, but maybe they don't know how. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm not going to name any names. There's a person in this church that took that challenge after last Sunday and started looking at people, everybody, like Jesus would. And you know what? This person didn't just run into, because I don't believe in that. I don't believe in happenstance. I don't believe in that. This person was with another individual that I believe God put them together. And this person didn't have a Bible. Has a lot of questions about Jesus. And guess what? Asked, will you study with me about Jesus? Got chills just thinking about that. Because if we truly just put everything aside of what we want and just realize that God can do more and just realize, look at what God can do with not just me, but with anybody. Conversations will take place this week that may have not taken place otherwise because our eyes are opened to see people the way that Jesus would see them. Praise God for that. And when you look in Mark 8, 9, and 10, that is exactly what the gospel of Mark in those three chapters is all about. Just get your eyes opened. Doesn't matter what the topic, doesn't matter what the issue, you erase all of that preconceived notion and preconceived ideas of what you think the right answer might be and just leave room for God to work. And when we leave room for God to work, he can do amazing things. Amen? I think a lot of us, I think all of us, need to be challenged with that. Come to Jesus. Come to his table. Come to his way. Come to his road that he's traveling on with no preconceived idea and just wait and see what he can do with your life. And when you read in depth these chapters this week, you may just put your Bible down and think, ah, aha, that's what he means by that. I love those aha moments, don't you? Because that's just another reminder of God saying, if you'll just scoot over just a little bit and let me take the lead, great things will happen. And so you have some predictions that take place here. Because if you look at it on the surface here, man, the disciples here, they're wanting this sweet and soft Jesus who's going to be like a soft and fuzzy presence that's going to make everybody smile and make everybody do what they want to do and make everybody think this is easy and this is the way that it's got to be. But the more you look at it, the disciples are beginning to understand that is not even a clue of what it's about to follow Jesus. Because right after that, 
He talks about how he's going to suffer, how he's going to be rejected, and how he's going to the cross to die. So, man, if the disciples are struggling with all these little things over here, how do you think they're going to take, by the way, I'm going to the cross to die, and guess what? I'm doing that for you. And guess what? He did that for us. And guess what? Every day of our life, we wake up praising God that he still looks at a sinner like us. Because otherwise, we don't stand a chance. But on this road, with Jesus, there's a chance. There's an opportunity. And all he's wanting the followers to do is to see, let's go deeper with it. Okay? Let's quit touching the surface and let's go deeper with it. And so, I want you to look at these, what I call three failures. And I'm going to read these pretty quick. Chapter 8, verse 32. As he talked about this openly with his disciples... Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. And then in chapter 9, verse 31, he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. And he said to them, the Son of Man's going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He's going to be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. In other words, even though I'm going to die, there's hope. With Jesus, when there's a death, there was a resurrection. And that resurrection spoke volumes, didn't it? That same resurrected power that raised Jesus from the dead is that same power that can conquer anything that we are afraid of right now in this room. Okay? Mark it down because it's true. Anything that you're worried about, any fears that you might have, Jesus is saying... You don't have to really worry about that because my resurrection is going to seal that forever. Okay? And not even Satan could keep him in the grave. That's a whole other sermon another time. Chapter 10, verse 32. They're now on the way up to Jerusalem. Jesus is walking ahead of them. The disciples are filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. And taking the 12 disciples aside... Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Now, here's the deal. When it says everything, boy, he means everything. And at that point, you know what? The disciples were not ready to hear what the everything was all about. They weren't. I'm not sure we're always ready for that. Because again... If you're wanting a soft, fuzzy Jesus, it's not going to happen. You're going to get a Jesus who's not afraid. You're going to get a Jesus who's not afraid to go there. You're going to get a Jesus who's not afraid to ask the tough questions. And those tough questions always demand an answer. And so, you had those three failures, as you call them, and then you have these teachings. And here's what we see. We get the impression that they are obsessed with power. And so while Jesus' mind is fixed on the cross, the disciples are wondering, 
say, which one of us is going to be the greatest in this new kingdom? That's what we want to know. And so while they're worried about all of that, Jesus, he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up on them. He doesn't say, get out of here or any of that. I mean, he may be, he may be frustrated, but you know what he does? He does for them what we long for. He teaches. And here's the bottom line. When we don't know something, isn't it just better to say, I don't know that than it is to make up the answer? Because we may think we have it right or we may think we fully understand it and we haven't even touched the surface of it. Praise God that Jesus still hangs with us and he doesn't give up on us and he still takes our imperfections and he still works on us and he still strives to shape and mold us into who we need to be. And so, as we bring this section to a close, here's what I want you to do. As a disciple, are you already on the road with Jesus? How many steps have you taken? Do you understand them? Another question is this. Are you teachable? In other words... As a disciple, as a student, as a learner, we need to always be teachable to the deeper things of God. So you know what we have to do? We have to realize it's not about us. It's not about the power of where am I going to sit in the new kingdom. And don't kid yourself, we still play those games, don't we? We still play that game of I'm better than you are. We may not say it, but we act like it too many times. And Jesus is looking to the disciples and he's saying, that's really not what it's about. In other words, you're not even close. Okay, that's not it. You haven't touched the hem of the garment there. Power's not the issue. The issue is, will you humble yourself and will you just be a servant? When you just humble yourself and say, I just want to serve. Man, you're teachable. You're moldable to do anything that Jesus wants you to do. And you're teachable to be anywhere where Jesus wants you to be. Think about that. Do you feel like an outsider, maybe, just like the two blind men who felt the need of Jesus' touch? Well, really... The invitation and the challenge here is this. God wants us all to see. He wants us to understand. And he wants us to follow Jesus on the road of faith and on the road of obedience. And so this morning as we stand to sing an invitation song, while we continue to worship some may have a decision to make. And some may need to come down and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
And if you've never been baptized into his name, you need to do that. And we're here to help you with that. Some, either from your seat or from up here in a more public way, may need to say, I am struggling. I don't understand it all. I need some help. I need some prayers. We're here for that. So whatever your needs are, whether it's from your seat or from up here or privately with somebody after our service, we stand ready to help you in any way that we can. May we see Jesus more clearly in the days to come. Let's stand as we sing this song.